0: Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. Find a location near you at
3: bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: You're listening to DraftKings Network.
0: Welcome back to Gojo and Golik, Michael Jr., Michael Golik Sr., Emerson Latzia. Hoping to get a hold of Peter King, now retired. <laughs> it's, it is interesting, Dad, seeing the retirement tour that Peter King has been on right now because I've seen him on with the Levitar guys the other day and a few other shows. And we talked about this with LeBron James coming to the end of his career, and he made the comment about not being sure if he wanted to do the retirement tour, or if he wanted to shock drop it like Tim Duncan did. And we all sort of laughed there, but it does seem like Peter King is sort of getting that right now, even after shock dropping his retirement on us this past Monday. I'm wondering for you, has this given you any ideas about whenever you decide to hang up the cleats about how you want to go about this?
1: No, listen, I hung up the cleats once. Well, I guess they were hung up on me uh, twice in my, my NFL career there hung up on me and then, you know, at ESPN, it was hung up on me as well. I didn't, I didn't have a say in it. So I, I don't think there's many, especially journalists, that say, you know what, this is the last year of me writing. You know, we're going on podcasts and start that. It's normally after you do it, now he'll go on a lot of shows and talk about his career. So I think for outside of sports, it's kind of after the fact thing. But I'm going to say this right now, Mike, and I know you've worked with a guy an awful lot in Gotts. Oh. and take some right. of the, the way he does things uh, to heart. And I'm just going to say, Peter King I have known for years. Peter King and I have, have known each other for a long, long time. And Peter King is supposed to be on right now. Uh-oh. This much like Stu Gatz, when I do God Bless Football with Stu Gatz, and we have we have Andy Reid or somebody like that on. I tell Stu Gatz, don't screw this up. Don't embarrass me in front of my friend Andy Reid so we never get to talk to him again. My friend Peter King is supposed to be on right now, and you, for the last two days, have done nothing but bludgeon him about the frostingless Pop-Tart that he eats, which is his right to do. You may not like it, but you were talking about canceling this Hall of Famer because you don't like the way he eats a Pop-Tart, so maybe, just maybe... He's just watching our show right now, giggling,
0: saying, I'm not showing up because of Gojo. That'd be a pretty ugly indictment of his character if he did that. And I don't believe that the (laughs) Peter King that I know through the internet would be capable of doing such things. You assume a lot about Peter King's character here in a way that's quite honestly pretty ugly and not befitting of a friend. So that's why I know that Peter King was always going to be here for us and why I'm so excited to talk to him. Because I trust him, regardless of the way that he tends to take his Pop Tarts in the morning, right now. So we'll get to all of Dude. that. And see if he has the. We'll see if he shows up with the Pop Tart in hand right now. This no. is the thing I'm most curious uh. about. As I've seen Peter King populate the chat right now with us here, and so we can officially welcome in one of the greatest journalists of all time covering the sport of football, recently decided to hang him up and join us here now.
3: Peter King, kind enough to give us some time this morning. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. Listen, there's two things I want to make sure we discuss. I want to make sure we discuss my love the 4th of July hot dog eating contest. That's number one. And number two. So Mike and Mike, I need to tell you about an event that happened in 2013 in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. So Uh I am at Steelers training camp and I look down at my roster. Every, Every time I would go into a training camp, I'd look down at my roster and I would say, hey, who's here who I didn't know was here? And I go, holy Ola, Mike Golic Jr. is trying to make the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the greatest thing. So I ended up watching you for like two periods of that practice. And, you know, I thought to myself as a dad who probably saw 90% of my two kids field hockey and softball games throughout their high school career in Montclair, New Jersey, I thought to myself, you know who I bet wishes he was here every day for every practice is dad. I I really, I found myself thinking that day. So Mike, I got to ask you this question. Did you wish you were in every practice in Latrobe watching your kid trying to make Mike Tomlin Steelers?
1: Oh, without question, and in fact, I was there. I don't think when you were there, but I was there for a few days. I just sat up in the stands, uh, went on the field, I think once, and just and just watched. Listen, there is nothing. People always ask me, "Are you more nervous about you playing or your kids?" And it's not even close. You know, yeah. I got to see you know Mike and Jake play all their football, all their sports. I got to coach them in a lot of things. Sydney coached her in some things and watched her swim in college. Peter, there is nothing, nothing like watching your kids do something they love to do yeah and then at the highest level uh to watch that as well yeah it, it was very very cool I did that when he was there and then when he was in camp with the Saints as well uh it, it th- those are proud dad moments you're absolutely
0: right
3: yeah that's cool so Peter, what do you remember I have to ask Ryan? Though, as someone you, who was watching Junior, those periods, what do you remember
0: Well, I was going to ask you what you remember because I remember my dad and my brother coming there for some practices and I remember walking into La Trobe and seeing Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger and all these guys that I had watched for so long and and the respect I had for the Steelers organization coming in. But I also remember I got put at right tackle, a place that I had never played in my career before that and was a little fish out of water on the perimeter given my athleticism. So I want to know from you, Peter, as you're watching those periods, how quickly did you jot down
3: dad better get here soon cuz I don't know if this dude's making the team. No, I did not say I'm I'm dead serious. I said wow. This guy belongs. You know what was interesting? I I forget what drill it was, but and it wasn't like the Oklahoma drill or anything like that, but it was a drill that you were taking the outside pass rusher. And I said to myself, man, he belongs you were competitive in those outside passes in in keeping the whoever it was i don't remember who it was james harris i have no idea but whoever it was you were very competitive and i said man this guy's got a chance i i, I really did say that and you know i thought that was really kind of a cool uh, cool thing to see
1: that is that is one heck of a memory peter that's impressive so let, let let's start looking at you know your <laughs> memory going back well let's first Let's do this. When did you know in your heart that you were like, okay, I'm I'm going to be done doing this. I'm going to retire.
3: Well, Mike, last year, uh, last spring, the King family went on a family vacation to Hawaii. It was my daughter Laura's 40th birthday. And so we decided to all go to Hawaii to spend a week together. And so one, one day when I was there, I said to everybody, hey, we got to talk about this I'm nearing the end, I don't know if I'm at the end, let's talk about it. So I asked everybody their opinion. My two daughters wanted me out yesterday. You know, they they saw what it did as the year went on. Like I ended this year with double pneumonia in Vegas. I just, you know, I can't moderate myself in this job. But anyway, so my son-in-law, Nick, who is a is the quietest guy, but, like, I love this guy to death. He is so good to Mary Beth and such a good dad to my grandson. And and so he, he was great. And I always respect him. I said, Nick, what do you think? And he goes, he says, do you still love your job? And I said, I love almost everything about it. Yeah, I love it. And he said, uh, and you're going into year 40 if you would work this year? I said, yeah. And he goes, why wouldn't you make it a nice round, even number and just do 40 years, and then retire. And I said, you know, out of the mouths of Nick, I, I just, I thought it was really <laughs> a smart thing to say. And and look, I'll be honest with you guys, you know, so I got into this season, and man, I I love this season. It was so much fun, uh, so many fun stories. I went to Frankfurt and did uh, Kansas City and Miami, but but anyway, as the season neared the end, and I was pretty sure I was going, I said to myself, I have no interest in these coaching searches. I could care less who the next coach of the Washington Commanders is. That was one thing. <laughs> and then um, NBC said to me about a month ago, hey, uh, we're doing the credential list for the scouting combine. Uh, you you are, are you going this year? They assumed I was going. I said, I don't think I'm going to go because quite honestly, I loved the Scouting Combine for years and years, but you know what, I'm 66 years old. I like going to bed at 9.30, you know, maybe even (laughs) nine o'clock. And I, every night at the Scouting Combine, it was 1.30 five nights in a row, and it always ended with with my ninth drink in my hand at 1.15. And I said, you know, been there, done that, killed myself, enough of that and that when those things happen you know it's time to go
0: it, it is the the signs seem to be there and especially like you said 40 years of doing this at some of the highest levels between mm-hmm. Monday morning quarterback and football morning america you became someone that people relied on as a part of their week their football life the way that they consumed all this and there's a lot of pressure associated with that I think the want desire I'm sure to want to go out and deliver for a lot of these people so I am curious when you finally pushed send and published that final piece on Monday what'd you do right after what's the first thing you said you were looking forward to the potential and the chance to be bored what was the first thing you did after you published the final piece?
3: Uh, My wife and I watched Jeopardy from Friday. I had not seen Jeopardy yet. So we watched that. Um, I don't know. We didn't do very much. I think we watched a couple of MASH episodes and I was in bed by 9.15. So no, we didn't. It's not, I don't consider this a real emotional moment. You know what is emotional to me? What's emotional to me is Walking out of Andy Reid's office after spending 11 minutes with him, with my videographer, and him explaining in depth Tom and Jerry, the play that won the Super Bowl, that right. is emotional to me. Those are the moments that I won't be able to replicate in whatever I do next in life. And you know, the uh, the week before that, a little bit more than a week before. Writing to work with Kyle Shanahan, talking to Kyle Shanahan for 80 minutes that day about his hopes and dreams and you know how he hopes that people just don't look at him as the guy who loses the big game and talking about the drama of drafting Brock Purdy and how everybody in the room didn't want to draft Brock Purdy because there were so many other guys and they had just traded the company store the previous year to uh, to be able to draft Trey Lance, and that turned out to be a disaster. So those are the moments that get me emotional. I mean, writing my last column, I get I guess it was a little bit uh, emotional, but not not really. I mean, time moves on for everybody, and it's moving on for me.
1: And it's just just the difference in how long you've been in this business. When Mike said, when you finally pushed send on that last article on how you turned your first article in that you ever wrote. It certainly wasn't pushing send uh, back then. <laughs> so, you, you know, you had the, the great memory of 2013 and Mike's training camp. Can you go back and can you remember the first article that you had published?
3: Oh, my God. Well, you know, probably I remember, um, I think the first, I got hired by the Cincinnati Inquirer in March of 1980, and they had me cover uh, a a road race in Cincinnati. I think it was a half marathon or something. And I ended up writing a story about a guy who competed and ran a half marathon on crutches. And I just thought, man, what a dude. I think that was the first thing I ever wrote. But, you know, I've always thought this, that, that I always thought I had the greatest job in the world. I loved working in Cincinnati, loved it. It was the perfect, foundational place for me. I love working in New York, covering the Giants, working for Newsday when, you know, Bill Parcells once told me, I said, hey, I need some time with you. And he goes, well, meet me at my parking spot at 5.45 a.m. And he never thought I would be there. And I was there three times that year just because I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the absolute best at the job. And then luckily, when Sports Illustrated hired me, Sports Illustrated and, and Mike, you, you know this because you lived in these days. You know, people don't yeah. understand when I say, hey, back in 1990, Sports Illustrated was bigger than ESPN. I went into the Dallas Cowboys yes. locker room once, early, like 90, 91, right in there. Michael Irvin saw me and he screamed, hey, Peter King's here. We're in a Sports Illustrated game this week. You know, and moments like that, it just... <laughs> Those moments I've always felt, I mean, I'll never forget them. I'll never forget all of them. And I just have been extremely fortunate to be born when I was, to have the parents that I did, to have the dad who would go with me in the car on the weekends to go get the newspapers. We lived in Enfield, Connecticut, and we lived halfway between New York and Boston. I read seven sports sections every Saturday and Sunday. And I, you know, in my high school year, my senior year, I said, I wanna be Peter Gammons when I grow up. And, you know, so those those moments, I mean, my parents just basically drove me, I mean, gave me a love, not only of writing, but of reading and everything. So look, it would be a colossal disappointment to me in my life if I didn't make something of myself after what my parents did for me and what and after what so many mentors early in my career did for me.
0: And I think you've paid that forward tenfold and seeing the outpouring. I thought it was interesting. I mean, my dad, you know, when he was leaving ESPN, I saw this in real time for him, but after you announced on Monday, saw in real time, and I heard Dan Levitard refer to it as the eulogy while you're still alive that went on on Monday from a lot of your peers around the industry and people that you'd affected. And it it was awesome to see how much you've meant to so many people that are doing the job now and the impact that you've had on them. I'm sure at times without even knowing that you were doing it, it, it's been incredible to watch that and I'm sure incredibly gratifying for you. And it makes me wonder why you wanted to go and sully that reputation with the Pop-Tart take that you brought to the Dan Levitard yeah. show yesterday. We're in front of children. Hey, Impressionable eyes were out there, Peter, the was you're espousing the these views about frostingless Pop-Tarts.
3: It, it's 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 sickeningly sweet. I have <laughs> to have the non-frosted Pop-Tarts or else I can only eat like half of one. And I said, man, I'm going to be in a diabetic coma. I mean, so... so I just like strawberry and blueberry plain. As a matter of oh. fact, I had two of them. I just had two of them this morning. And I'll tell you what, they were damn good.
1: <laughs> I, listen, and I'm on your side. And you just said it right there. You had two of them as opposed to a half a Pop-Tart if there was frosting. We personally like Pop-Tarts with frosting more. But that's like me telling someone, I don't like you eating pizza with pineapple on it. Go ahead. If you want to eat it with a, pine- <laughs> a pineapple on it, go ahead. So... I'm with you on that about a little over a minute to go, Peter. I I'd like to know, and this is probably a longer question than that for you to answer. Greatest sporting event you attended.
3: Uh, Essex County softball tournament, 2003, uh, the Montclair high school softball team is seeded 11th and we're playing the second seeded team Cedar Grove. And, um, my daughter, Mary Beth is pitching. There's about, 800 people at the game. And uh, the game is uh, tied two to two after uh, seven innings. It's tied after eight. Mary Beth gets out of a bases loaded, no out jam in the ninth. We go to the 10th. Tied after 10, tied after 11, tied after 12. And Mary Beth gets out Cedar Grove in the top of the 13th. And she comes to the bench and she realized, I don't know if I can throw one more pitch. She's the first batter the next inning. She hits a triple on the first pitch of the inning, scores on a bloop single uh, by the next hitter, Meg Milan, her catcher. And what I'll never forget about that moment is after the game, it was a tremendously euphoric moment. And after the game, Mary Beth says to her coach, says, coach, here, I got to give this back to you. I said, what was it? And she goes, my coach gave me a Bazooka Joe comic before the game. She said, Hey, dad, read the fortune. And the fortune said, the ones who prepare are the lucky ones. And it wow. was uh, that was that said everything about my daughter's sports career. And Mike, you and your boy, you understand that you don't get to Notre Dame without practicing your balls off, without lifting all those weights, without doing everything. And in that moment, the moment of my daughter's greatest triumph, really, she understood that the reason she got there is through practice and hard work and pitching lessons on on cold November nights and all that. So it was a rewarding moment. That's awesome. But that's the best game I ever saw.
0: That's awesome. An incredible memory from an incredible career. Uh, Peter, the dry Pop-Tarts are on me the next time I see you. Thank you so much for your time, sir.
3: What about Thanks, hot Peter, dogs?
0: appreciate
1: it. Next
3: time I'm on, we oh, talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? And remember to check out Jagermeister at www.draftkingsxjagermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jagermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jagermeister US, White Plains, New York
2: pretty stoked for a 12-team college football playoff coming up this season. Hey, how does 14 sound to you? A 14-team playoff model is being discussed, and it would grant here, Gojo, three automatic qualifiers each to the Big Ten, SEC, two automatic qualifiers each to the Big 12, so that's going to be UCF, and ACC, one automatic qualifier to the group of five, plus three at large. That's according to Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports The Models, not finalized. I think this house also has something to do with like the contract, right? The contract ends, I think, around 2025, yep. 2026 here, at Gojo. So they got to make a decision here soon. Yeah, the tinkering never stops
0: with these people. I said, we need to send them on a golf trip or get them a hobby or something so they <laughs> leave the sport alone for, for a little bit. Because, Dad, it seems like before we're ever going to get a chance to try on the 12-team <laughs> playoff and see how it fits, this is going to happen, and... It's going to happen because two conferences realize that they're better than everybody else. That's really what I think is at the heart of all of this discussion, is the some is great, more is better culture around college football seeped into that little meeting between the SEC and the Big Ten, who looked up and said, wait a minute, why are we going into a situation or a system where we're treated the same as everybody else when we believe we're different than everybody else? And it's reflected in the most important detail of this and how it's going to be executed, the format of who gets the automatic qualifiers and things going into this, known as the 3-3-2-2-1 format, meaning the SEC and the Big Ten would have three automatic qualifiers in this 14-team model, the ACC and the Big 12 would have two automatic qualifiers, the group of five would have one automatic qualifier, and then there would be three at-large spots in this as well. And as well as as, uh, the at-large involving Notre Dame involved in that mechanic as well. Basically, Dad, spelling out in plain letter what we saw take off at the end of this college football season where you had an undefeated conference champion, Florida State, left out of the college football playoff for reasons that people pointed to the quarterback, but that I have always maintained, would not have be graded that way if the stelmet sticker said Big Ten or SEC on it. They're basically just trying to codify what people already believed is that there are two conferences that operate differently than everybody else and started throwing their weight around accordingly.
1: Yeah, listen, this is this is two very different systems of what we're going to get next year of five automatic and seven at large to 11 automatic and three at large. So th- this is, this is a monster difference. And it, it's amazing to me how they're already, we haven't even started the 12 and they're tinkering. And as I said, they've, they're, they're putting together 16 team models as well. and it would start the, the new format would start in 2026 uh, as a, what Emerson was alluding to, the television contract. But let's let's talk about the elephant in the room on this one, right? Because I, I agree with everything that you said about the SEC and the Big Ten saying, we deserve more qualifiers. Now, I still think in the 5-7 model that there would probably still get three teams in each. Now, it would just go year to year on who else they would get in because there are seven at large, and I would imagine there's still going to be other SEC teams and Big Ten teams that are going to be up there. But now the 3-3-2-2-1 guarantees them those spots. But what this does is this would, in my opinion, would force Notre Dame into a conference. Right now, Notre Dame for to for to stay out of a conference to stay independent was always a few things. It was what what about the other you know uh, sports out there? But I, I think that could always be worked out. Then there's the money that you're going to make. What are they going to make from NBC, or what would you make in a conference? And then, most importantly, I think is ease into the playoffs. And with a five automatic, and while Notre Dame could never be one of those automatic, they would always have the potential to be one of the seven at large. Well, now you're cutting it down to three at large, with 11 that are guaranteed. So, I don't know what you think, Mike, but to me, that kind of moves the needle toward Notre Dame, saying, you know what, our odds just went down in getting a an at-large bid into the the big show. So maybe we ought to think
0: about changing it up. That was my thought process as we were squeezing more towards this point. And part of what I had talked about with the 12 team model and what you just laid out, seven at-large spots available meant Notre Dame wasn't really going to be getting preferential treatment the way their detractors right. thought they would, but Pete Thamel and Heather Dinich wrote an article on ESPN.com that included this little nugget that sources told ESPN, as far as Notre Dame, the most likely option being discussed is that the Fighting Irish would earn a spot in the 14-team CFP if the selection committee ranked them in the top 14 on selection day. So this would be carving out a little bit of a special place oh, for Notre Dame in the would. discourse You're right. in a way that would ensure Notre Dame's survival in this current format, which obviously, like you said, is paramount to their remaining independence. But this would definitely tick people off, and this would be the one where I would understand people going, oh, so we're going to give them preferential treatment. Because saying, yeah, if Notre Dame's in the top 14, we got a spot for you in this, all of a sudden creates a very different dynamic where, (laughs) dad, imagine if Notre Dame in a given year has two or three losses, and they're right on the bubble. They're one of the teams right around there in that 14-15 spot, and get in. You've got seeds of controversy starting to sow here.
1: So, uh, first off, remember, people, if this does happen don't and you get mad, don't get mad at Notre Dame. Notre Dame didn't make this this rule, okay? Notre Dame didn't hold a gun they to helped, anybody's bro. head if this happens. This, this was agreed upon. So, don't blame Notre Dame for this. Number two, Mike, if this, in fact, is a way to get an automatic bid in the, in the top 14, I don't know what that would do as far as what their seeding would be. Um, do you think that's enough to keep them independent? And, and not move toward a conference? Because eventually, I think we're getting there. It's just a matter of what actually pushes it over the edge. And, and that's a nice caveat to have, an automatic at, in the top 14. But do you think that's enough
0: to keep them independent? I do for right now. But to your point about this eventually getting pushed over the line, we're, we're seeing it happen right now. As people sit around and want to bellyache about NIL and the portal all this offseason, I'll remind you the existential threats to the sport have not been caused by the players. Look up at this. I'll be fascinated to watch if anyone can jujitsu their way or you know gymnastics their way into somehow blaming this on what the kids have done to the sport. Because this is the grown-ups in the room that have been realigning conferences, changing up TV deals, and now making these handshake agreements with the Big Ten and the SEC getting together, and probably, I'm sure, in an honest moment with themselves saying, we're better than the rest of these guys. We've proven it in the way we've acquired talent, the way we've accomplished at the high level. Why are we going to let any of these other people dictate the terms of the sport? And the fact that people are close to agreeing to this, the fact that the Big 12 and the ACC are looking at this and going, Well, two sounds pretty good considering our current lot in life right now should tell you a lot about where we're going. This is going towards football pangea. It's going towards these groups deciding altogether they don't need everyone else. It's what we've been whispering about for years now, and we're starting to see it. Again, it's getting codified now. It was abstract when I talked about this at the end of college football season and said if the helmet sticker on Florida State's helmet said Big Ten or SEC – even if Jordan Travis had gotten hurt, they'd have been in the playoff because that's how people view those conferences versus how they view it at the ACC. And Florida State started banging the drum and banging pots and pans after about their grant of rights indicated they probably felt some of that constriction too. Now it's being spelled out. These two deserve more than the rest of you because they look at themselves differently than the rest of you. So, yeah, Dad, as this eventually all morphs into the one great conference or whatever comes from this, as I've told you, it European soccer is the hell out of this model. And this even this, 3-3-2-2-1, three, three, two, two, is Champions League as hell. All of this is moving towards that one mass of humanity that will eventually necessitate Notre Dame join whatever it is if they want to stay in this upper portion of college football because everyone else wants them there because they look like money and that's the reason when you carve out something like this it's because everyone understands hey we're trying to build the best TV product that's all this tournament is it's not giving us a more worthy champion it's not giving us a better process of picking a champion it's giving us a better TV product and they know Notre Dame is better for the TV product so for anyone that's ticked off that's why it's because Notre Dame is dollars because Notre Dame is green because Notre Dame in addition to accomplishing is also still a brand that resonates and incites opinions and incites feelings from people and puts asses in seats when it comes to the television dollars that all these people are chasing. I just
1: wonder the changes that are going to go on with 12-team and then do you think about 14-team on where the continued changes are going to go on in college football. Uh, are we staying? Was it just going to be a power four, the Big Ten or the Big 12 and the ACC? What happens? Do they? Do, what do we eventually we get to that will throw a wrench into whatever format that we have? You know what I mean? Whatever format we keep and then where we end up in five to seven years, does that, does that make this model look
0: like, oh, that's not going to work anymore? Collective bargaining, I would imagine, when the players finally have a say in how many games that they're being added to their plate without them having any say-so in the process. When it happens in the NFL, their players have a say in it. Their players get a kickback from it. There's a financial gain, usually, for what they've got. Right now, none of that exists for college players, so I'd imagine the time that they're finally deemed employees changes a lot of how we perceive
2: All right, two weeks ago, Kaitlyn Clark breaking the NCAA women's basketball scoring record. But it was only yesterday here, guys, that she became the all-time leading scorer among female basketball players. So she's got an average now of more than 30 points a game, well on pace to pass Pistol Pete in her next game here. It's going to be the Iowa regular season finale against Ohio State. On Sunday here, Gojo, we're talking for the NCAA scoring record among both men and women. Was Ohio State the game, too, where she was uh, essentially tackled on the court? I think so.
0: Yes, that was. And that was one of the string of losses in this season for Caitlin Clark and Iowa that have been – This Steph Curry-like show in college basketball, wherever she goes, massive crowds are on hand. We've obviously seen her at the center of both these record-breaking performances and the moment you mentioned, where before the John Filipkowski uh, incident and the Duke court storming, you had Caitlin Clark that got upended by a fan that was running onto the court with their phone up, not looking where they were going. And so, yeah, Ohio State was one of those losses as you had Ohio State, Nebraska, and Indiana all-notch wins against them right now. Dad, currently, Ohio State has climbed all the way up to number two in the country in the latest AP poll for women's college basketball, Iowa sitting at six. So Caitlin Clark, in addition to being a one-woman theater herself, is also walking into a matchup that's got major implications as we head toward tournament time. Certainly in the Big Ten, this is huge. But just in general, she has really continued to supernova this season.
1: Oh, I mean, it's ridiculous what she's doing. 18 points away from Pistol Pete, so she's obviously going to get that set a record for uh, threes made in a season when she hit 155. She has 156 now. I mean, but for her, I mean, we see all the individual accomplishments but we know for her what this is going to be about. This is about closing the deal and winning the title, uh, which is going to be so we talk about Ohio State uh, right there in the Big Ten, but then there's South Carolina who's been uh, so incredible this year. But that to her I don't think it would be that from an individual side, she's done everything. I don't think the title would be the cherry on the top. I think the team title, Iowa winning the national championship, would be part of the main course for her. In a team sport, that's always the goal, and I, I, that's really the only thing missing from her resume at this point
0: it is the outright Big 10 title by the way will also not be a part of her resume this year. Ohio State wrapped that up already. So they will be going up against the regular season Big 10 champion Ohio State Buckeyes when they take them on for all of these hopes and it, dad it's always a difficult thing to try and shoulder the load of all of this. We talk all the time about star players and what they're able to manage and how in all we are of LeBron James who bursts onto the scene as the chosen one as a high school teenager and then manages to live up to the height and then some. For Caitlin Clark, it's now been this place where she is an ambassador for the sport. Caitlin Clark is in most people's mind the name association with women's college basketball right now and really college hoops at large. And while she's got, I'm sure, an awareness of all these records... It's balancing all of this attention, all of these accolades, the right. personal side of this with, like you said, what she wants to accomplish as a team. And so it, it does, I think, give us the a chance to stop and sort of appreciate what someone in her position is going through and also what it means to continue to have women, especially that are in these star positions that are drawing more eyes to the sport. It's a great opportunity and it's one that college basketball on the women's side in the last few years, especially has seen in the tournament like it. It'll be the tournament on the women's side this year, I think will be a much bigger draw in terms of the star power than the men's side by far.
1: I I completely agree. I mean, without question, looking for the big names and big teams uh, to battle one another again. So kudos to her again, this one last personal leap over Pete Maravich, which by the way, could we quickly mention something about Pete Maravich? She's looking to break that record. Maravich, uh, 3,667 points from 1967 to 1970. Pete Maravich only played 83 games. Back then, freshmen couldn't play. He was not allowed to play. In his four years, or I'm sorry, three years at LSU, he averaged 43.8, 44.2, 44.5. He scored all those points in 83 games. And let me throw one more thing on there. Wow, No three-pointers. Huh. No three-pointers. I mean, it is amazing to think of what a scoring machine he was in college. It's pretty impressive.
0: Pretty interesting. I need to bring in J.J. Reddick as the representative for uh, guys that come in and slander old players uh, to see what J.J. Redick's assessment of Pistol Pete Maravich <laughs> would be in that spot here. Who was the player that he took up with uh, a while back? Bob Cousy. We need to see if Pistol Pete is going to be in Bob Cousy slander uh. territory for J.J. Reddick as we get closer and closer to this all-time record. Um, Deb, we mentioned Caitlin Clark being able to shoulder the load. I do think that's an interesting way to sort of look at what's going on. And some of the quotes that we heard from Dame Lillard during this past week, he did an interview, I believe, with Sports Illustrated, talking about his experience so far in Milwaukee. And I thought it was pretty interesting, just the human element of Dame talking about where he thought they would be as a team right now. (coughs) And him personally where he is in terms of his journey being alone in a place where he's away from all his family, he's in a new city, he's going through the trials and tribulations for this team, and said he's bored, he's lonely in Milwaukee right now. He goes home and he YouTubes fight boxing videos all day and then goes back to work and do that. And, Dad, while no one's going to cry for Dame Lillard at all, it is a reminder, like, these guys have lives away from the basketball court. And I'm not saying it's affected anything that's gone on, but I think it's absolutely a part of the conversation we have about When these guys make a decision to leave like this, this is also part of it. He's literally choosing to spend time away from his family during this extended period when he's been used to having that support system right there the whole time.
1: Yeah, I mean, as he said, this is what happens when you have to make big boy decisions. This is is where it is. This is the things you choose to do on a much smaller scale. When I was out of football in 94 and I ran for a couple of teams, one of them was the 49ers. And you know, I, I I ran for them, and if I signed with them, I would have I would it would have been about half the season or so. I would have been you know, I would have gone by myself, you know. You, even though you guys were young at, at that point, that would have been and actually your your mother was pregnant with Sydney at that point. You know that would have been an interesting scenario of I'm only gone for a couple of months. What do you do? But yeah, you're and, and you're right. Nobody, as I sit there and tell that story, nobody feels sorry for you. You're playing pro sports. This is what you do. But it is part of it. It is part of the humanizing part of it of saying, okay, I'm going somewhere where I haven't been, and especially for him, the amount of years he has been in Portland and now to be in another spot. And and I'm sure there are people saying, I'm sure you could find something to do, uh, but as he said, you know, you get into your routine, and you get set into your routine, and he just hopes he can see good fights on YouTube, I guess.
2: I mean, not to get, like, too heavy here, but the transition, one reason it's been tough as well is he filed for divorce from his college sweetheart, too, like a week after he was dealt from Portland to Milwaukee back in October. Right. So the, the guy's going through a lot personally. So he's used to coming home to his family and his kids, and now he comes home, and there's no one there, and it's Milwaukee, which is probably a big reason why he wanted to be in Miami, from the first place.
0: Well, it is a good reminder that all of this was a little bit different than what Dame had in mind. He said in the same interview, I thought we'd be the Celtics right now. I thought we would be doing what they're doing atop the Eastern Conference with me and Giannis together. And it, it, it's a reminder, again, when we we all sat here for years and said, why isn't Dame going? Why isn't he doing this? And there's the personal side of it, but there's also the side of it where what they're attempting to do is historically difficult. He said and referenced LeBron James and the Miami Heat Big Three about not knowing, you know, not having a, a, a lack of understanding of who you are, but in a different context, going into this environment and trying to figure out where you fit in, Dad. It's a reminder that, while the big three era that got started when the Celtics got together and then the Miami Heat got together and then you had Kevin Durant go and join Golden State and all these different things, that it's never been that simple to combine multiple parts in this way, and usually takes a lot longer than we want to give it credit.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. And so, how much time will it take? Because that's the one thing we always want to give things time, but then they say, "Okay, time's up." You know what? He just got he just got to Milwaukee, right? And what they've gone through with the, the coaching change and, and the, some of the drama going on is like, wow, okay, let them settle in. And we're still waiting to see if they can settle in. But this isn't the only year they're going to have
0: a chance to do something. It's not, and it's a reminder that continuity we've seen recently with the Denver Nuggets in an age where we saw so many guys up and moving and changing. I do wonder if there's going to be more teams that look around at the continuity of Denver, the continuity of Boston, and start to see the value in that as well. DraftKings Casino is bringing you only the best. Classics like blackjack, roulette, and slots, plus exclusive games you won't find anywhere else. I love blackjack because it's a ton like football. The difference here is your hits and doubles don't require any physical pain the way they did when I was playing ball. You can get all of the fun without any of the hurt by downloading the DraftKings Casino app now and use code GOLIKPOD when you do. New players get an instant deposit match up to $100 in casino credits when you deposit $5 or more. That's code GOLICPOD only on DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, Help is available for problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 plus, physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only, void in Ontario, eligibility and other restrictions apply, one per new customer must opt in and make minimum $5 deposit within seven days, that's 168 hours, of registering a new account. Max match $100 in casino credits which require one-time playthrough within seven days, that's 168 hours see terms at casino.draftkings.com slash new player offer 2024 all right guys time to finish off the way we always do this that and the third three quick stories to send you in the rest of your day as always make sure you download subscribe rate review us leave us a five-star rating and check us out live monday through friday 8 to 10 a.m eastern on the DraftKings Network. You can catch the best of Gojo and Gullick from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get VSIN on the radio. And if you miss any of us live, you can check out us and our great guests. Thank you to Peter King, one of the all time great football journalists, recently retired for joining us here on the show. You can catch him wherever you get your podcasts or right here on YouTube as soon as we get done. And guys, it's time to get to the most important story of the day. I can't believe we put it off this long. Known Kansas City Chiefs superfan, Chiefsaholic, pled guilty in federal court Wednesday after a bizarre saga that saw the 29-year-old arrested and charged with a string of 11 robberies or attempted robberies that stretched in seven states. His name is Xavier Michael Badabar, and he pled guilty in one count of money laundering, one count of transporting stolen property across state lines, and one count of bank robbery in Oklahoma. This is the guy, for anyone unfamiliar, would wear a gray wolf costume to Chiefs game and became well-known for eventually taking off his ankle brace after being arrested and trying to flee across state lines he is not the star of the show today though the star of the show today is his lawyer and i say that in air quotes because i cannot believe that this man is actually <laughs> real but yesterday his attorney matthew merriman stood out in front of the courthouse and delivered this message to chief Saholik's supporters from the beginning of this case folks the government has been blitzing and
1: xavier's pocket was collapsing But today, Xavier stepped into the pressure. He took responsibility for his actions. He stood up in court, humble
2: and repentant, and admitted what he had done. Now, if I know anything
3: about Xavier, and if the Chiefs Kingdom knows anything about Chiefsaholic, we know that he doesn't give up. We know that if he stumbled and he fell, he didn't let his knee touch the ground.
0: Dude, he hired a real- Wow. Saul Goodman. Wow. Emerson, that was the first thing I thought of was the Matrix is glitching right now because this is like an episode of Veep or something. TV writers couldn't come up with a character this ludicrous dead. I don't know what your first thought was. My first thought after hearing this was, oh my God, this guy is going to jail forever if this is the person (laughs) representing him. My, my thought initially
1: was, who wrote that? Because that guy certainly didn't write that. I don't There's know. There's no way that guy wrote and it. And he
2: looks like a lawyer no, he who's did no write shot. That. He, he looks like a you lawyer think he whose, did? I... whose office is in an old pizza hut. Like the old pizza yes. hut buildings. <laughs> and and it,
1: if, if that guy did, in fact, write it, I could just see him finishing, him putting the last period on it and going, yeah, nailed it. You could, you could say <laughs> he, uh,
2: he threw up a total Hail Mary in defense of his client. Oh. <laughs> Wow. I, I saw Chris Long bring this up the other day on the Greenlight Pod about how his doctor
0: routinely tries to explain things to him in football terms and it's really <laughs> demeaning. My financial advisor has always done the same thing where they try and put everything in football terms. I'm like, guys, it's not the only part of my life. I'm not this dumb. You can just say the money words to me, even if it's well-intentioned. This guy apparently thought that this was his time to shine to show everyone and appeal to Chiefs. King. Like, Is he trying to send the message to Chiefs Kingdom to basically break this dude out of jail? because he's not going to be yeah. able to keep him out of jail very clearly. That's all. That's the only thing I no. can think of. No. So God bless. This entire saga has been one of the best things to happen. And I understand <laughs> bank robbing bad. If people were harmed in this, we don't want any of that. But this has been some of the most compelling NFL This League content of my entire lifetime. And I am so, so very grateful for it. Emerson, let's get to that. Um, the Price is Right had yeah. dude absolutely go ham sandwich this last one. Yeah,
2: week. you know what I'm grateful for is this dude on Price is Right who absolutely killed it. Watch this. You want to say hi? My mom, my brothers, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews, and all my friends I met today on the way here.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. Oh. Just, Just to taunt you. Five or ten.
2: I mean, sometimes it's just works I mean, a wait, hey, it's
3: okay.
1: <laughs> I, I'm glad I got to
2: be here regardless of whatever. Good. But guess
1: what? He just got a ball around the wheel. Oh
2: my goodness.
0: It's been again. Yeah.
2: Come on, money.
0: Great form, by the way. Yeah, if I'm spinning on the prices right, I just got to put $95, every ounce to ass you can into that thing.
2: It just prices <laughs> right always. It always reminds me of being homesick as a kid. <laughs> Hell yeah! Brother. Twenty-five
1: thousand. Uh, Twenty-five thousand.
0: Every part wow. of that guy's reaction is exactly how you should react in a game show setting, but especially when you win 25 grand. And on the wheel, like outside of like when I think of iconic game show settings, Price is Right's got two of them between Plinko and The Wheel. Those are two of the Hall of Fame right. apparatuses yes. right. on any game show. And this guy went up and dominated one of them in the most unlikely spot. Hero, hero. Yeah,
1: that was, I love The Wheel. And Emerson, you're right. Because that show was on at like eleven or eleven thirty, yeah. uh, late morning, and I remember it the same way that that when you were home from school sick, you could watch that. That was a big thing uh, to watch Bob Barker way back, in, you know, in the day uh, doing his thing. But yeah. love this game show.
2: Yeah, I do too. Plinko would be my go-to because it's just so simple. I don't have to like use my weak brain. I could just drop a little token yeah. down there. But I'd also would love to do well, like the cliffhangers game, the little yodeling guy. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Now the the as far as plinko, you got to get some things right to get the plinko chips. I, I think and you. Would be I like plinko with one. as well. I, I like plinko as well, but I don't think you can win enough on that. You only got mm. the one big money slot on there. I kind of like. I was talking to your to your mother actually about this, Mike. We like the dice game where it's like the oh. the casino table and you roll the dice, and if you hit the right number. You get it. If not, all you got to do is pick, is it higher or lower than that number and go Ooh. through the last, I think, four numbers of the car, which you may get right. And then, you know, there's a possibility of winning the car. So I would have trouble with a lot of grocery things. I would just be looking out into the audience for them to just yell prices <laughs> for me to help me out.
2: Would you have someone, though, you're targeting? You can't listen to everybody, like, out there. You know hey, what you I have mean? Yeah, my have, wife. You'd have mom in the crowd. you okay. all he'd right. have my mom in the yes. crowd who would
0: know the price of all these yes. things because she's been the one actually out yes. here in the streets doing the work during this entire time, acquiring all these things that wind up on The prices Right, so I'm with you, this show has been the basis for most of my entire life, guessing pretty much anything, in terms of value when I'm around friends is always price is right rule. you got to be closest without going over, and if you get close right, enough, right. you win both showcases. So congratulations to that man for being a star in his field. Emerson, let's get to a true multi-arena star here in Jimmy Butler who blew everyone's minds, not just with his haircut, but with his musical ability.
2: That's right, because we've got a clip. We all know the emo phase that he is going through or has been through, and this is why he is starring now in a Fallout Boy music video. We have a clip. All right, so yeah, this song is about the struggle to find meaning in life and having lost love. (laughs) With the lyrics, as you just heard, thought we had it all, thought we had it all, thought we had it all.
0: So, I'm a big fan of the song. I love Fallout Boy. They're obviously one of the premier musical groups of my lifetime. I'm not gonna lie, I was looking for a little bit more from Jimmy outside of just the hair. The dance move showed up good, but when he was forced to lip sync there, Dad, I felt like he was holding back a little bit here now. Jimmy Butler's capable of so much. He's dynamic. He's got the coffee price gouging business inside the NBA bubble. I was expecting a little bit more, but this is still more than we deserve. It's incredible we're getting this content from an active NBA superstar. Maybe he is just like wants
1: to leave you wanting more. Oh. Maybe there's something down like the road where you'll get more. Maybe he's playing chess and you're playing checkers. We don't know that right now. All I can say is, while I'm a Fallout Boy fan as well, I didn't really listen to the words. I was too busy looking at the outfit, okay? The hat was money. Man, did I love that hat. It's like a
0: Western Prince. Yes, yes. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. (laughs)